guys. Hi, everybody. Did you like that? Yeah, so you are at Black Chick Lit. You haven't wandered onto a more professional looking and sounding um, podcast. This is still or us. Or have you? Or have you? Ooh, I don't know. So I'm Danny. And I'm Molly. And that was our new music. Yeah. Um, we hope you like it. This is um, part of our, you know, um, plan to. To grow more in year two, um, we're excited that you guys are on this journey with us. Yeah, so R.I.P. Pina Camada. That was the song. <laughs> that was the name <laughs> of the song we used to have. But uh, I think this one fits better with our aesthetic. Yeah. And with us. Yeah. So I had a thing and I totally lost it. That's okay. Like I told Molly, I like had a really hard nap before we got up to record. <laughs> and I'm mostly back, but... um. So this month, we're recording this a bit early because this is maybe the second time we've got to read a book pre-release mm-hmm. and review it for you all and share it with you as close, really close to its release date. The first time being There Are More Beautiful Things than Beyonce. Mm-hmm. So this is um, Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. Mm-hmm. And we got it from NetGalley and we were really excited to try and get this episode out in time for the book to be released on September 12th. Yep. So it was mentioned by a few people in our previous bonus episode as a new release they were most looking forward to. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to, we didn't want to spoil anything in this one. So we're going to try and keep the first, I don't know, like half 40 minutes of the discussion spoiler free. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll, we'll say when spoilers are coming and then we'll, we'll get into the plot a bit more. Yeah. Cause this was a mystery and they do. Yeah. yeah so we discover who did what and why. So it's pretty do interesting. Do we? I, I, the book thinks it does. <laughs> it <laughs> thinks we do. So I will say for my criticisms, which we'll get into, I think the mystery itself was actually solid. Okay. I don't have any issues with that. You, I sound like you do, and I can't wait to hear them. Yes. So. I Okay, so you know how you had your um, uh, romance novel kind of rules and guidelines? Yes. So I have I have a mystery novel one called The Scooby-Doo Principle. I am very excited. <laughs> I love this. I love people's theories and guidelines. And I think just by the title. <laughs> that you I can see where I'm going. Where you're going. So... But um, so I wrote, like I said, we're going to get into it. So right now you're a spoiler for you. Again, we will clearly let you know if you want to read this book when you need to turn it off. Mm-hmm. So here, this isn't so much as a synopsis as it's, I guess, just copy I rewrote from the back cover. <laughs> but um, so the book follows Darren Matthews, a Texas Ranger who is experiencing trouble in his personal life and his professional life. His wife wants him to quit the Rangers and become a lawyer, something that may become a reality, as he's also been suspended from the Rangers. I would like to take a note right now to say I had this I had a whole other paragraph describing uh-huh. the incident that got him suspended, and then I realized I didn't care. So I deleted it <laughs> because it doesn't impact the story we're talking about now. Um, seeking an escape from all the pressure, he follows up on a tip from a friend to investigate two murders in a small town in East Texas. The first victim is Michael Wright, a black lawyer who lives in Chicago but has roots in East Texas. And the second is Missy Dale, a local white woman. Darren believes the two deaths are related but struggles to get the local law enforcement to cooperate. 
As the story unfolds, we see what damage race, power, lust, and family can do in this small rural town. And that's as much as I can say without, without spoilers. Yeah, without spoiler so let me things. ask you this. You so you said that you've never read a mystery before. Not like a grown up traditional mystery like this, yes. I don't think, but for the most part You no. said that only Encyclopedia Brown. Yes, Encyclopedia Brown. Like. Which Okay, for let me let me just say fuck Encyclopedia Brown. I didn't know you were supposed to get out an encyclopedia to be able to solve those fucking mysteries. That just really bothered me as a child when I would read them and I would be like, how was I fucking supposed to know that a fucking uh, bobcat has this many toes on its feet and these tracks had that many toes and that's why it was a fake? I was like, the fuck you talking about, Encyclopedia? Get the fuck out of here. Encyclopedia Brown was more of like logic puzzles, like literary logic puzzles. It was literary, but you literally had to go to the encyclopedia to look (laughs) up the answer to be able to solve it. Yeah, it was. He wanted, they expected more out of like nine-year-olds than perhaps they should have. Definitely. I think, and maybe this is another like thing about mysteries that I like. I like a mystery that has everything that you need in it to solve the mystery to solve the mystery or else to get to the place where the author wants you to go because i i've been reading a lot of mysteries this year and it seems like this new trope in literary mysteries and literary thrillers are kind of an uncertain ending um but it still seems like all the pieces have to be there for you, you to, figure to get out. to the ending, even if you don't have a conclusive answer, like a whodunit answer or an arrest or a confession. This one sort of ends ambiguous, amb- ah, ambiguously, but it's a completely different, completely different issue, uh-huh. which sort of touches on that thing I skipped. So he, what did you think? This is what frustrated me. Sorry, I guess we're getting into the criticisms right off the top. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is what frustrated me when the book first started. So as I, so when I was setting the synopsis, he investigates these two murders because of a professional incident where I guess he's being um, punished for responding to a trespass or like um, some kind of standoff between a family friend and like this local, I guess he's like a thug, a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why didn't you call for backup or why did you handle it yourself? So he's suspended. And this story takes like the first, Part I think that's the whole f- entire first part. There's four parts. The book's divided into four parts. Mm-hmm. I think that takes up the whole first part. And I was kind of irritated as to why we we're spending so much time on this and not just getting into the mystery. So that was sort of why Molly and I talked a lot in chat <laughs> as we were reading this book. Uh-huh. And we're like, it was it was hard to pick it up and to keep going. And I think for me that was part of it. Well, that was one very small part of it actually. There was a bigger part that we'll get into. Yeah. So there were there were a lot of characters. Yes. In the book, and it wasn't always um, the most clear to me who the characters were. Um, like, let's so let's get into them because I think as we discuss the, I other think that things, would be helpful. So we yeah, have we can, uh, Darren, and let me ask you, how old is Darren? I don't know. Okay, so this touches on something I was gonna. Wow, we're really getting. Okay, so maybe we're just spoiling. saying, yeah, it's more spoilery. <laughs> Well, no, this won't this won't spoil okay. anything. But okay. I just we're throwing off topics left and right. This is related to his characterization, though. I think I thought Darren was like in his forties, and I think he says something like that. I thought he point. was in his sixties. <laughs> 
I didn't think he was that old. Why did you think he was that old? Well, he just seemed to have kind of old man mannerisms to him. <laughs> but then at the end, someone says young man. And he says something about being of a similar age to another character who I thought was in his 30s. Okay, yeah, no. I put him as 40, but I thought because he was raised. So he was raised by his two uncles who were kind of old men. So I'm like, uh, I thought he was just like a, a man who was raised by two old men and sort of absorbed their mm-hmm. their thoughts. Mm-hmm. I thought he was 40, but I thought the way he was characterized, he was... I thought he was too old to be as optimistic as he was about the Texas Rangers and about the United States justice system. Mm. That could be my own cynicism. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I'm just, but I mean, I don't know how you couldn't be considering like the, the environment we've been in for the past few years, but he was like, he had this sort of reverence for the Texas Rangers and I'm not, never even been to texas so i don't know maybe i don't get that either yeah i don't know but he sort of had and this, i guess that's another good question yeah. what year does this book take place in i think it said 2016 at some point Did it? like i think in the yeah i think in the very first i got it i took so many highlights y'all so many it says but this was 2016 okay. and Rutherford mcmillan another character wasn't having that shit so it does identify that it's 2016 yeah because there but, aren't a lot of markers of of the time you know what i mean yeah Going on that, though, mm-hmm. what time of year did this story take place? Christmas. No, it didn't. It didn't? I thought it was around Christmas. I, I spent the whole book thinking this book took place in Christmas. And then on, like, the last few chapters, there's this throwaway line about the October wind. Oh. And I was like, wait a minute. So, yeah. Oh. Apparently, it takes place. Yeah, and I highlighted it and put all caps. So, it's not Christmas? Yeah, so... The words blown out of the cab of his truck had been lost to the October wind. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. So apparently it's October. Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of confusing. Yeah. So. So. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So characters. So Darren. That's Darren Matthews. Yeah. You don't know how old he is. So he's a. Well. Yeah. He's, he seems younger. 30s or 40s, I would think. Um, He is the second Texas, black Texas ranger. Am I correct in that? And his, his uncle was the first. He's the second. I believe so. I believe his his uncle William Matthews was the first. And I think that the the Texas Rangers. Okay, one thing that I really really liked about this book was the kind of the um like the setting of it and yes. the um the structure of like I like that she used the Texas Rangers. So my understanding of the Texas Rangers are. You know, if law enforcement is a hierarchy, you would have like local city police and you might have county sheriff who he kind of butts heads with. And then you would have like federal FBI and the Texas Rangers kind of operate in this middle ground where they have jurisdiction over all of Texas. But they're in this weird place that doesn't really exist in other in other locations. And yeah, so, I got that impression. Yeah, I like that he, you know, he's of Texas, but he's not tied down to a particular place. It's just this kind of rural eastern Texas. He's fighting on both ends with different um, law enforcement agencies. He does have, you know, power and respect because of his station, but he's still a black man dealing with, like, staunch racist 
So it's like right. he, he he literally has the law on his side and he does use that line a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> he refers to his badge a, a lot. lot. Like he really like that's really important to him. And he does, you know, outrank and pull rank on people several white people several times, which is an interesting power dynamic that you don't often see. I also right. really like that it was a very rural setting. Um, and it felt even more I, like I feel like most of the books we've read have been more urban settings um, mm-hmm. or kind of suburban like Charlie Freeman. But I like that this was was a very rural, very like kind of, you know, even to Darren, who's from this place, kind of a dangerous, unknowable place unless you are really from there. And I like that Attica, um, like she she had just a really good eye for detail describing Eastern Texas, and it seemed like she knew she knew that location well. Yeah, well, the description describes it as a rural noir, and like I think the setting is very. I agree. I loved how she handled the setting. It feels very poignant. It feels very. I feel felt very like I was taken to a different place, which I just sometimes don't always get. Yeah. Like the setting, she described things, and a place that like I don't for better know. Or for worse, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For better or for worse, she describes things very like vividly, and you sort of get the sense of what the air felt like, what it sounds like, what things look like. So, and I really like that. Like when they describe things, like um, there's a character we'll get into called Geneva, and when they describe her shop. You sort of get this sense of like this is a thing that really could only exist in this small rural town of like less than a couple hundred mm-hmm. people. So I really enjoyed that yeah. too. Okay, do who do we want to go to next? You want to just get into Geneva? Yeah, she arguably is as important a character as Darren Matthew. She is the first character you meet when the book opens. Mm-hmm. So when the book opens, like on the first page, it's her cleaning off her husband and her son's grave. Yeah. Which sort of threw me for a loop because I was like, who is this lady and how does she connect to the story? Yeah. And and she's doing it in a kind of eccentric way like that. I don't think is a local thing like, oh, look at these. Because even the the um, caretaker of the cemetery is kind of like, this is weird. Um, like she's putting up string lights and bringing like these super elaborate meals. And I think she like plays a radio at all hours at the, at her husband's graveside. Mm-hmm. Um, she becomes really important as like the, the mist, the crimes unfold and you learn sort of about like her relationship to other people in the town. Mm-hmm. But for the first three fourths of the book, she almost exists as a background character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also maybe she's i was gonna say the most prominent black female character but there's another character randy who may be equally i would think so and i think think, oh go ahead i was gonna say geneva feels more well feels more developed than randy Mm -hmm. um and that randy sort of is more of a uh sidekick to darren yeah i feel like there's supposed to be all these parallels between um geneva and randy but um, Geneva kind of, like you said, doesn't really come to the foreground until later. And Randy, I think it's like either section three or section four. She kind of drops out completely. Right. And she, her, her influence over the story kind of fades sharply. Yeah. So there are very so, few parts where they're, where you're looking at them together, which I don't know, maybe that's intentional, but. 
Yeah. Randy is the widow of Michael Wright, mm-hmm. the black man who was murdered. Mm-hmm. She's, so she's uh, sort of very urban. She comes in a, in a, she comes in a room car, but she comes like not dressed for the season. Yeah. She's overdressed. She's got like hundreds of dollars worth of camera equipment with her. And she doesn't really get the danger of the situation she's in. She goes, she goes into like this, this bar that's a known sort of like a Do we want to say, cause I feel like this is kind of spoilery. Oh, so I was just going to say that she just doesn't okay. realize. I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to say she goes to the bar and she doesn't realize the danger. She of, doesn't like, have race. She yeah. doesn't get race in this small town. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that story of northerners coming to the south. And I want to, I put a pit in this because I really, 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 really want to come back to this in the spoiler section. Okay, but um, it's kind of I, I think that she's playing off of these these stories that we all know of northerners coming to the south, not quite knowing how race operates down there and yeah. then suffering consequences because of because they don't have the same savvy or they don't have the same knowledge that the locals have. Right. So, and it's speaking, it's like kind of funny you say that because going back to Geneva and how they never interacted, there is like Geneva has a conversation at one point where she, I don't think she likes Randy because she doesn't, she said like, well, she never introduced herself to me or paid me any respect. So there is, you get that there's a sense of this cultural disconnect between like rural black people and the more urban, because Randy throughout the book says she does not get her husband's ties to this to this area right so um i think the there are a lot of people geneva has a cafe and there are a lot of people in the cafe yeah she has to a a point that i forgot who some of them were (laughs) she has the granddaughter faith um yes who's gotta be huxley early 20s huxley i'm not a hundred percent sure who huxley was I, for, I don't know if he was just a guy who hung out or if he worked there. There's just a lot of characters who hang out. And Isaac, and I, who cuts yeah. hair in the corner, which, you know, okay, we're both from Missouri. Like, um, you know, I've been to places, you know, salons and stuff that are unlikely salons, salons in unlikely places. But I've never in my life seen a salon in a in a cafe. You know what it made me think of? Have you ever seen BAPS? Yes. The movie with, with Halle, Halle Berry. Wasn't, wasn't that her dream? She wanted to open up a restaurant and a hair salon. <laughs> and it was like Lily's Hair and Waffles or something. Oh, my God. It's been, it's probably been 15 years since I've seen Babs. When did Babs even come out? Like, uh, I'm know? Googling it now. I think it, it came out apparently in 1997. It's, it's been a minute since I've seen Babs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought of when they talked about how they had this salon in the cafe. And I was like, oh, like the waffle joint, Halle Berry's character wants to open. Because it wasn't, if they said it had been in like a back room or something, I would have been like, cool. But it was like, <laughs> there was the like counter. And then right at the end of the counter, there was a the guy cutting hair. And I was like... <laughs> And I don't think we ever saw anyone getting their hair cut, did we? There was, I thought, didn't the, um, there's like this truck driver who stopped on his route. He'll stop in. Because okay. I remember there's one scene when she's talking about how like he's, he's lining up the back of his, the back of his head. I might have missed it. <laughs> it was just, yeah. So I was sort of lumping all those characters together because at one point, like there's a cook. I think Dennis is the cook. Yeah. And then you have 
there's this other character named Wendy, Wendy. who I kind of loved because her whole thing was just sitting out in front of the cafe and selling old shit she found from her house. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to see more of Wendy. I liked Wendy because she was also pretty, like, no BS. Yeah. So, um, I like Wendy. Then across, like, a creek or something? Uh, or the, the highway, Or a mean? highway. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's Wally... Wallace Jefferson the third. Yes. Who lives in a house that is apparently modeled to look like Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. Yes. And his wife his name I forget. Laura. Laura. She 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 might as well not exist in this. She doesn't really Yeah, she has maybe contribute two much. scenes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then they're so. taking care of Missy, the murder girl's son. Yes. Keith Jr. Keith Jr. Uh, so. There's Keith Sr. Um, local Who, shithead. Yes, he, he, like, every time I was mad at this book, it was because of something he said. I will say this. I know we sound really critical of the book. I don't think we're as critical as we're sounding. I love, like, the scene. She's really good at writing scenes that piss you off. And, like, every time this asshole opened his mouth, yeah. I hated him. Yeah, definitely. It was like, I, I hate him. So he's he's a racist but maybe not he's a racist with a secret <laughs> yeah everything he said just pissed me off he's a racist he works um at a lumber cutting yeah and mill, so, lumber mill yeah so it's just the n-word just they had a the n-word just left and right when he, when we're from his pov yeah and i think in terms of of the the characters we have, those are our main players. There is Van, yeah, Van Horn. Is that it? Yeah, Parker Van Horn. Yeah, so he is the sheriff. He kind of butts heads with uh, Darren. Um, oh, and Darren's two uncles, I guess, should get a mention. Um, oh, yes. Clayton and uh william william and they kind of have these two influences on him one is um a lawyer he's a con law professor at uh ut austin you remembered that (laughs) (laughs) i just remembered like he taught at a law school you know his subject i remembered because she said constitutional law and i was like well first of all i not to brag, but I got first honors in con law. And then secondly, <laughs> I was like, I've never heard anyone say constitutional law. Like, maybe it's a regional thing, but it was always con law, con law, con law. But, you know, we're out here in L.A., things are quick. So. <laughs> or maybe that's just, you know, law school in speak in people who haven't been through, because I would call it constitutional law. Like, you studied to- so, you know, we don't know. us non-lawyers. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm really impressed you remember that detail. <laughs> So there's um, Clayton and then William, who was the first black ranger. And it's kind of interesting, maybe a little bit heavy on the symbolism. But I guess when little Darren had issues, he would go to his father, his father figures, his two uncles, and he would get their perspectives. And they were always somehow different, even though they were both from a law and order perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there's enough of a difference between the, he says at one point, like the lawman and the lawyer and how things should be handled. You mentioned something that sort of, did they ever say what happened to his father? I, his father is not present in this his book. His father he has is these not, two, like, yeah. 
surrogate father. Yeah, and I, until the end, thought that his mother was their sister. And, I, like, yeah. the whole time he was like, oh, you know, uh, they were saying stuff about the mom and stuff and I was, and how great the uncles were. And I was like, well, if you're so great, go help your sister out. Because uh, his mom, <laughs> Belle, is kind of um, uh, shifty. Uh, <laughs> shifty is a great word yeah yeah she she didn't raise him and every once in a while he'll have this flash like this yearning for kind of a maternal figure but they're they're very obviously not close yeah so i think as far as characters go I, that's that's it and they're all like I, we're forgetting a lot of them i know yeah but for the most there part there are other people in the ranger's office they're other people yeah. in um so i guess um wally does own a bar called the ice house and that's where missy works i think it's actually called jeff's juice joint but why did they the keep book, oh because the book just kept referring it to the so ice that house. must be some uh like local yeah regional because when i hear i hear ice house i think of like like old-fashioned like where people how you see people used to keep things cold before oh. refrigerators but it must be like a name for a bar. Seem like it, or maybe like some kind of like roll bar yeah, or juke joint. Yeah, juke joint. I know in Kansas City they would call it like juice bars and stuff. No, because uh, of how nude you could be and serve liquor. Yeah, the author is a native of Houston, Texas. So okay, yeah, yeah and I mean we're recording this um, a little bit early, um, so. You know, we're still kind of um, in the aftermath of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if any of our listeners are out there, like our thoughts are with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, definitely reading this. I was like, yeah, it was it was on my mind a lot. Um, So um, I would like to say I feel like uh I'm going to say it is non. I'm going to say it pretty non-spoilery. Yeah. For we're going to get into a bit about like her writing style. But for the most part, the mechanics, I think the setting were beautiful. The was great. The characters for the most part, were really well done. And the mystery and the mechanics behind that were really good. What I had a lot of trouble with was more like, I guess, if this, if all that was like the bones of the thing, I had a trouble with like the all the fat the meat. and yeah. muscles. That's, yeah, the meat yeah. of it. Because the way this story is written is very, I, I this word's gonna sound so mean, it's kind of exhausting because there is a lot of description mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't feel it's necessary and it sort of gets in the way of you enjoying. Like, I feel like mysteries, like action movies, they should be quick. They should go, they should keep the tension. They should go boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom. If a action movie like stops and is edited so that you're stopped and looking at all the settings and having like random like side stories, it takes away from the tension. Yeah, there was a lot. And oh, so I think, sorry. well, I was just going to finish up. I think there was a lot of points in the story where we sort of get bogged down by just exposition that we don't need exactly like there's a lot of um descriptive language in the book that Mm -hmm. i don't know is completely necessary um i think that we highlighted a couple places where she would say one thing multiple times within a paragraph and i think Mm -hmm. that that just kind of like you said bogged down the pace and then bogged down the actual like the writing it seemed a little mm-hmm. a little bit overridden um like there were there were definitely and i was highlighting some where you could cross out say either this or that because they both are saying the same point 
or something yeah. wasn't adding think- to the atmosphere or the understanding or wasn't like some beautifully written sentence. And she does have some really like gorgeous sentences in here, but I think it was kind of that kill your darling thing. Like sometimes things just exactly. weren't working and probably should have been cut. Yeah. I think for me, there were a couple instances where I can recall where there was a flashback, like within a flashback. Like there was one time when he was remembering when his, um, when his uncle first became a Texas Ranger and he drove him through the town and then it kind of spins off into this other story about this, I guess, or like this breakdown in the relationship between the two brothers. And I'm like, let's, let's stick to one thing because it, you get sort of, deep in it and you it's hard to get back on track yeah it got it got a little bit confusing to know what either story was saying at that point yeah plus it would sometimes take place like either right after or in the middle of a scene where like something related to the main plot like had just happened yeah or was about to happen s- like some yeah. tension was building yeah. i saw a lot where um a lot of the dialogue it seemed to be someone would say something then there would be a lot of description or a flashback um you know or something that someone was holding then they would finish that sentence and someone else would start a sentence then it would repeat that pattern of a lot of description flashback and i was kind of like well now i'm losing you know the the thread of the conversation because so many things are happening within this conversation of two people talking yeah and so and like yeah it's exactly what i said it's a very clear darling's one because she she is good at writing that mm-hmm. but it's like you know wrong wrong place and wrong time yeah for the story we're spinning yeah so i'm trying to think is there anything else before we get into the, the spoiler portion. The spoilery part. Oh, do you think um, Darren and Randy would that be spoilery? Eh, kind of. I think so. We can talk. Can we? I I just don't get why Randy was there, but we can get into. Yeah, that. we can I get think, into it. She wasn't. Um, I think for the most part, there is. I think you sort of hinted. I think this is going to become a series because the book sort of ends on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. On another, like in a different cliffhanger which we'll discuss so i do think this is going to be book one yeah which i could see because Um, i think she has i think the setting there are more stories that could be told definitely yeah and i think that seems to be the way with mysteries like you have a character Mm -hmm. who he who's involved some way as a detective or some kind of law enforcement who encounters different situations and so you follow the character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like walter mosley's um is it charcoal joe or he has some detective yeah or even like going back to Holmes you know like yeah it's the same guy and he yeah is a jerk but he gets things done and you're like oh wow I saw on the UK site that it's like book one of the highway 59 Uh, okay yeah so highway 59 being like I think the main highway that cuts through the small town that where the murders take place yeah I could see that did we mention at all that the, did we just forget to talk about how the writer of this book writes Empire? Oh yeah, she's a writer, and is she a producer too? Like on Empire, it's, like she's produced, like she's she's a screenwriter, and she's produced scripts for Paramount, Warner Brothers, Disney's 20th Century Fox, 
And um, the pullout blurb mentions Empire specifically. I do not know if she's a producer okay. for those things. And I know that she but, has um, a couple other books that have been really highly regarded. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she's out here doing things. I don't think we've mentioned, yeah, so. Do you watch Empire? Yeah, no, I don't because – so this is what happens. If a show starts off and gets really popular and then it gets too many seasons, like, I – it's too much for me to just get into it. Like that's a lot of hours of TV watching. And it's like, I, I'm not a, I'm not the kind of person who can sit and watch TV for eight hours. Uh, so it takes me a long time to finish something. Cause I'll start it, get up, go get something to eat, <laughs> press play, pause again, go do something else, press play, pause again. So like, I can't just, I think movie theaters are the only place where I sit and like watch something straight I through. See. I do remember, yeah. um, like I, I started watching it when it first came out. Cause I, I, Terrence Howard, you know what I mean? Uh, we don't like Terrence Howard, I don't think. I think we both discussed. But I, I want to see what he's doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, I wouldn't want to, like, hang out with him because he's going to tell me about how, what is it, one times one isn't one or something. Um, <laughs> seriously, okay, if you have never read that that profile of him, I'll put, we could put it in the show notes, but about how he's having his wife build all these, like, incredibly intricate kinetic sculptures like he's he was like Mm. a math he's like a math genius gone wrong and he's like (laughs) trying to prove this theory that it's like either one times one isn't one or one times two isn't uh two or something and it's something like it was a fascinating read and like i saw one of the things he has like hanging from his ceiling in a picture and it's like beautiful but it's like photographed like through a reflection because he wouldn't let the photographer like shoot them should like anyone steal his ideas so i i want to know what terrence howard is doing because he's got like a beautiful mind that i want to know more about <laughs> i just think he's kind of icky and like he looks like somebody i always said like terrence howard looks like somebody who beats women and then it kind of came out did. that he wasn't entirely opposed to beating yeah, women so, so i think he's a lucky my mom likes him because she reminds he reminds her of her dad and I'm like, she's like, my grandfather, your father, your grandfather used to look like that. And I was like, don't, don't insult my family like that in that way. I was going to say, um, I remember when the first um, season came out, um, because I do not want to disrespect your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like that show was fucking everywhere. Like I would go literally like on the streets and I would hear people like play, they would play like drip drop on the radio. And then I remember like one time I was um, this is when I was living in Long Beach and I was going up to my apartment and this couple was like on the elevator when I got on and it was clear they had been having an argument or something. And you know how like as black people, we like to kind of perform sometimes for other black people. You know what I'm talking about. So they started kind of like performing their argument because I was on the elevator and I remember, like, she said something like, uh, I can't wait until um, you're done with blah, blah, blah. And he's like, um, uh, yeah, you can, because by then Empire will be off. And what will you do with your life? And I was like, <laughs> deal. Man. I mean, right. I was I was performing the audience member, too. So. I just did you make a face? I absolutely did. And once I got off, I laughed my fucking head off. So that that's my Empire story. Uh we didn't mean to get sidetracked by Empire, but the author does write the yeah. TV. And I think that's a good a good point to say 
you know, we're going to start the spoiler unless you want to add anything. I don't think, because I'm now, like, because I thought, I guess your definition and my definition of spoilers are much more, your definition of spoiler is much more strict than my definition of spoiler. So I think for all the things I want to discuss that wouldn't give anything away, I think I've, I've, I've discussed okay. it all. My, um, I do want to end by saying, just on a positive note, when she talks about race, she's spot on. She has a lot of quotes in the book that I highlighted that deal with like injustices black people face that are that are truth. And and I I really want to check out her other books, even though I didn't really enjoy this one. I think if she's writing with this sort of like insight in her other books, I'd probably really love it. So there's something about when he first, when Darren Matthews first discovered or learns about the two murders and he's like, they're in the wrong order. Um, he says, historically, usually some some hurt, either imagined or real, happens to the white woman. Then the black man is injured in response. Where in this one, the black man was found first and then they found the white the white woman. So I really, like, that was a little moment, like a little detail that really stuck with me that I thought was just yeah. really good. Yeah, and I, I again, I'm yeah. going to say, let us put a pin in this because I agree 99 <laughs> out of 100 times, but that 100th time was a doozy when I feel like when I feel like the perception was off. Yeah, but I think, so before the people who might leave, let's say, I, I if you were excited about this book, I would say still go ahead and get it. Yeah. So, I don't think, my issues with the book were not enough that I would be like, don't waste your time. Yeah. And we had, um, like we said, we had um, a more of a review copy. So there's, you know, a really good chance that um, there there's an edit between what we see and what's going to be the final release. Exactly. So, and with that, I think we are now entering... Spoiler zone! Spoilers. So if you do not <laughs> want... You want to read this book and you do not want the mystery or all this stuff ruined, you need to stop listening now. Yes. We'll, so. we'll, we'll wait. So we're all here. We're all we're all good here. All right. I can't believe Taylor Swift killed those two people. Um, <laughs> don't say that, girl. She'll come after us. We don't have we don't have fighting Taylor Swift and money and court kind of money. We don't have that Kim K kind of deviousness. To go to- <laughs> I was I saw her video and I was like, OK, OK, Taylor Swift. Um, I didn't watch that shit. You're the second person would- out to ask me and I'm like, I ref- fucking fuse. I watched it and everyone's like, it's so genius. And I'm like, no, it's not. She doesn't say anything. She just, it's like she acknowledges that she knows that she knows what people are saying about her. And I'm like, how could she not? It's in the press. It's everywhere. Like, it's I know everywhere. what people say about me. That's not a fucking superpower. Yeah. Like, but what do you say in response to it? Or how do you react to, like, it's just, it's not. I saw the jokes on Twitter about how it was what, crystal light or whatever. For It was like, it was like a formation knockoff. Uh-huh. It was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was pretty great. So, um, but no, we're here to talk about books, not Taylor Swift. So mm-hmm. um, I would like to get back to the, let's, is this a good time to ask about your Scooby-Doo principle and how you thought it played out? Yes. Okay. So the Scooby-Doo principle. When I was a child, well, when my mother was a child, um, she would like to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And she said when Scooby-Doo came on, she was filled with such hatred that she would turn the TV off and that's when it was time to go outside. I can relate to your mother. I, too, really hated Scooby-Doo. And I... I do not understand its popularity or its appeal. Go ahead. I 
for me, what was passed down <laughs> was, and it, it was always what she said was because it was so stupid. <laughs> because they go to a place that Scooby, Shaggy, the rest, um, they go in the mystery van or whatever. They meet one guy. Then they meet a ghost. Then they capture the ghost. Then they're like, who could the ghost be? It's not going to be Scooby. He's there. It's not going to be Shaggy. He's there. It's not going to be the blonde one or the redheaded one or the brunette because they are all standing there. Who could it be? Who could be the ghost? Maybe it's the only other person. The only other person. The only person with a motive because they were... They wouldn't sell the old Ferris wheel. They wouldn't let him develop a mall. The only other person with the only motive to commit the crime is the one who did it. And that's what I call the Scooby-Doo mis- uh, principle in mysteries. When the only person who is not actively trying to solve the case is the person who did it. And it's just a process of elimination. Who could be the one who did it? The only person not solving the case. The only person who didn't just arrive in this town. The only person who has a motive. And I think that a lot of mysteries kind of fall into this trap. Like, they'll introduce maybe two or three characters. One doesn't know what the fuck is going on because they're a dumbass. One... so harsh. One is super shifty and always hiding in shadows and has always wanted to sell their parents' um, hotel if only they could get the insurance money. And one is a literal detective who literally just arrived on this island where no one ever comes. Who could have done it? Who? Who? So I feel like this, this kind of falls into the Scooby-Doo. Um... Because it's like, who could have done it? Who could have done it? Who could have killed Missy? Maybe her violent, racist husband. Who else would have wanted to do it? Who else would have had the time, the opportunity, the motive? Who else is a violent racist in this book? Keith. In defense of the book, I feel like that was supposed to be. And it could very well be. It could very well be. But it's like if it, the second you pick it up, the second Keith is mentioned, it's kind of like he did it. He did it. Well, I feel like, yeah, because isn't that how it is in real life? Like if if someone is murdered, like if, especially if it's a woman, if a woman is murdered nine times out of ten. It's is the husband. Someone, yeah, it's going to be a husband or a significant yeah. other. So I sort of feel like the mystery was, was how does her death relate to Michael Wright's death? Mm-hmm. And what was the motive? I feel like, yeah, he she was kind of a gimme. You knew and okay. He murdered her from okay. the Okay. You're going to have to explain to me the connection between Geneva and Wally. Because I don't know what the okay. fuck they were talking about. I'm sorry. I read that like no, three fine. or four times and I was like, I don't know how they're related. I had to process it a bit, but I think I got okay. it. So again, we're going to full spirit. So Right, Missy. Let's get into it. Missy is murdered by her husband, Keith. Um, Keith, because this is actually where I'm a little. Like, he either murdered her because he was mad at her for constantly stepping out on him, or he murdered her because he was worried she would 
say something in relation to the death of Michael Wright because Keith did not murder Michael Wright. But well, and I want to get back to that. <laughs> he did not quote unquote. He didn't give the the final yeah. blow. He did not quote unquote murder Michael Wright. But he was he was the last person to saw him. He physically assaulted him. He left him in a position where he was then vulnerable enough to be murdered. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where I'm fuzzy. But he def- but Keith, the white supremacist, definitely murdered his Missy Missy Dale. Mm-hmm. Michael Wright, the black Chicago lawyer, was murdered by, by Isaac. Isaac. The hair, the uh, barber. The, the barber in Geneva's shop. He was murdered because, okay, so this is what it gets into. Michael Wright had his uncle, or maybe it was his, he had a family member. Yeah, I think his uncle. Who was in a band with Geneva's husband. Joe. His, Geneva's husband is Joe Sweet, and the uncle was Booker uh-huh. Wright. And while they were on the road in the 50s and the 60s, they came upon Geneva's cafe, and Joe and Geneva sort of like hit it off, fell in love right there. And so he left the band to stay with Geneva in her cafe in this town, and they were married for 40 years. He was murdered. Joe Sweet was murdered and her son were both murdered. So Joe Sweet was murdered before the book starts by Wallace Jefferson the third. Right. Wally. He was murdered because Wallace was angry and drunk over the relationship Geneva had had with his father. So Wallace Wallace the third sort of had feelings for Geneva that he didn't understand, as the book says, but Geneva sort of had an affair with his father. A result of that affair was her son, Lil Joe. Joe Jr. Who, Joe Jr., yeah, Lil, who they, who I don't think Wallace ever acknowledged. He was acknowledged publicly as Joe's mm-hmm. son. So, this, this is where it gets, I'm hoping this is all, I'm going to explain it again, but I'm hoping you all are following me. So, he murdered Joe, he murdered Joe because he wanted the land, he wanted the money, he wanted those things that he felt was his birthright that his father gave Geneva after their affair and after maybe before she married Joe, but like in a rush of good feelings of his feelings for Geneva. So Geneva and Wally are related because her son is half brother. Her well, little Joe is Wallace's half brother. Can I stop right because, here? This is an argument yes. that my family has had for a time eternal. <laughs> if let's say Geneva and Wallace share a blood relative but have no blood in common does that make them related because i think the fuck not i don't think so. but some people like, really honestly do think that makes you related and i think maybe it just depends on your definition of family i was thinking about this once my sister's husband's sister uh-huh. so my sister's sister-in-law wanted to friend me on facebook and i was like no i don't mm. know you and my mom's like well she's family i'm like not not my <laughs> I didn't marry into that because she's my sister's right. family. Like, we're pretty distant. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to friend you. So I don't know. I guess it just depends. I don't think. I don't and think I guess they're related in that they both have that great. That baby is both of their grandchild. Yeah. Or no, that it's not. It's her grandchild, but it's um Wallace's nephew. Nephew, maybe because his brother. Yeah. Half nephew. Because Half nephew. Son. Is that a term? I don't know, and I think by that point you're just splitting hairs. It's a nephew. It's a nephew. It's situation. somebody, some baby that's living in your house. Yeah. So I don't see them, and they certainly don't. But they kind of do. 
Like he's they do in have this weird there. relationship. Yeah. And so what confused me, and thank you so much for explaining that because I was really <laughs> because I hope it made sense because I realized it all sort of built on top of each other. No, it did. The long back history. Um, yeah. What confused me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I am thinking that. And it could be I just have the wrong character. But when Wallace is first introduced, when he comes into Geneva's and she tells him to leave or something or not to get uppity. And she says, I don't care who your mother was. Right? Oh, I thought she said, I don't care who your daddy was. Oh, I thought she said mother. Because he sort of hints that. um, Okay, so I just got I just got completely confused because I was like, mother, well, maybe they had the same mother or they were the mothers or sisters. And the whole time I was thinking that, and I might have just misread that line. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought they were just, I thought she said, yeah, because it was hinted that his family, his family, like they were wealthy slave owners that sort of moved into sharecropping and they sort of just owned the town. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no. So. But yeah, they do have a weird, like, I got this vibe before they went into it. I got this vibe that he was sort of like wanting her in a way like there was something between them there and that he sort of like lusted after her in some. Yeah. Cause Isaac even said like, I guess Isaac grew up with them and he was like, Oh, he remembered the way he used to look at Geneva and how he had like that wanting or yearning or lust for her. And then something happens and then like it all turns to hate. Yeah. And so that something is that Geneva slept with his father and had yeah. Joe Jr. by him. Yeah. And um, then another wrinkle to this is that um, Missy's son, Keith yes, Jr., is actually Joe Jr.'s son. Yes. So I don't know how you diagram that out to figure out the relationship between Wally and Joe Jr., but there you go. You mean Wally and um, oh yeah, Joe Junior, yeah, because their their brother or Keith Junior, sorry, yeah, yeah, that makes him yeah, like we said, half nephew. I think that's what we got. Yeah, because Wally is definitely very protective of Keith, and is it because he's just a racist? Like he's he's just a racist, or is it because he feels some protective feelings Was Wally- towards? Was Wally protective of Ruth or was Van Horn? I mixed I mixed the sheriff and Wally up in the beginning. Like I constantly I did too. I feel like he was at least a little bit protective of Keith. Um, because he kinda is throwing Darren off throughout it and uh making sure to get the sheriff in, who's kinda like obstructionist. And then also he he you know, helps out Isaac hide Michael's body and I'm not 100% sure why he did that he did that to cover it was so here's so this is where we get back to Michael Wright Michael Wright was murdered by Isaac because Michael Wright the nephew of Booker Wright was going around asking questions about Joe Mm -hmm. and Isaac got scared I guess Isaac and maybe Wally both got scared that they were going to uncover how Joe actually was who actually killed Joe because for the six years after he's been killed, Geneva, Isaac, and everyone had been telling people, oh, well, three white men came and robbed the place, and he died in a robbery. Right. And, and I, Isaac ahead, knew yeah. that it was Wally who murdered him, and that mm-hmm. that angry, when he was drunk and angry. And so, because Isaac witnessed it. He was there when it happened. 
So Wallace got him to help him cover. And so when he heard that this guy was coming around and asking questions, I guess it was a fear that he would he was digging into the murder. So he had to be killed to be kept quiet, even though I don't think he did at all. Because like, it was the most overreacted. tangential. Like, he gave them a card to a detective agency and said, well, if you ever were interested. Right, people, yeah. Like, that is the least amount of digging that you could possibly do. So that's why like, I was kind of like, yeah. like, it was so buried. Like, it was so well buried. Like, it seemed weird to me that Wally was like, okay, I'm going to hide the car on my property for weeks. It, it now that we say this is the part where the mystery just loses because that it just doesn't seem I guess maybe Isaac Isaac was described as being a little maybe slow yeah but like I don't get why Michael was murdered when I as we talk about it out loud why was Isaac in the woods that night he was following Michael to in to his take car care of him in his car he ran through the woods <laughs> and followed him in his. He followed this fucking car through the woods and was just standing there waiting. I don't know how small towns work. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how farm so, roads work, but it seemed like yeah. like he was just all of a sudden he's like, "I was in the woods," and I was like, "Yeah, how did you get there?" He sees Keith beat up Michael Reich, and then when he and Missy drive off, because Keith swears he doesn't kill the black guy, and he was right. And when he sees them drive off, he drags who Michael. He they drag. He drag. Isaac drags Michael, who had been knocked unconscious, to the bayou where he drowns. Now he does hit him once more. Oh yes, more, that's true. Yeah. Which okay, Keith beats a guy with a fucking piece of lumber that we know because it says multiple times that the lumber has the seal, the name of the of the mill on it. Like, I think three or four times it says that the lumber has the, the mill's name on it. Of the place mm-hmm. that he works, he just leaves that by the body? It's like, who yeah. could have done this? Oh, it's a piece of lumber from this place where Keith works. And his wife was also the last. And his yeah. wife was also, hey, remember, hey, we're all racist in here. Remember when this white lady was talking to that black guy, the first black guy to walk in here since Isaac came in to buy a uh, sarsaparilla when he was like two? Remember that guy? Well, he got found dead after talking to Keith's uh, wife by a piece of lumber from the place where Keith works. Just pick up the pick up the log or whatever, you know, Keith, pick it up. So Isaac picks it up again and hits Keith, uh, hits Michael, Michael over the head and then drags him to the bayou and throws him in where he drives. And then he's like, oh, shit, now I got this BMW I got to do something with, which he could have just left it there. He could have. No because that one would, make- would have known that Isaac was yeah. on that road. No because one. that would make just as much sense if he was jumped by the side of the road. Yeah. And everyone would have said, oh, Keith did it. Yeah. And and his stupidity left the car there. Like so. by moving the car, they absolutely by moving the car, by putting it on Wally's land, by leaving it there until the literal moment when Darren comes to look for the car. If they had just not done one of those things, they would have gotten away with it. But I think again, Isaac is not the quickest. But okay, Isaac is not the quickest. But what about Wally? Why did Wally keep that car? I mean, he doesn't, I mean, neither one of them seem like criminal masterminds. I feel like 
you lawyered this. And I'm like, ooh, Molly Wood. <laughs> okay. I don't know your criminal uh, justice background. But, like, you my were bringing dad, up really My valid- dad is a retired criminal defense attorney. So <laughs> I'm very much like, why are you doing this? Um, uh, so I maybe this is a good oh. point to bring up what I was alluding to earlier, unless you want to talk about something else. Well, I was just going to say Geneva is briefly arrested in the murder of Missy based only on the fact that she had eaten there, I guess. Okay. Okay. (laughs) This is such a huge pet peeve for me. I'm sorry. This is going to be another like graphic novel versus comic book thing, but let me educate people right now because this is how you get caught up. This, you know, you're going to learn how to get away with murder, right? <laughs> well, you have to call Alicia. Is that the show she works on? Or does she work on Scandal? She works on either that or Scandal. But, um, okay. So, they arrest Genevia because when they do the autopsy of Missy, they look into her stomach and they find a full fucking saran wrap Sunday after the barbecue <laughs> meal. They find, like, oxtail greens... Um, peach fried pie peach fried pie the literal down to the pie fucking exact meal that Darren had the day that Missy is found they say um, Geneva is the only one within like a hundred mile radius who makes oxtail and they say that Missy had eaten four hours before her death due to like the erosion of the food in her stomach and small intestine how, how digested it was yeah So Darren lays all this out and says, because of X, Y, Z, you would have been one of the last people to see Missy before she dies. And Geneva says that's circumstantial evidence. It'll never hold up. You know what the fuck? Circumstantial evidence is actually really fucking good evidence. I will give you the example that they gave us in law school. (laughs) <laughs> the police come to you all started something in I this is like such a pet peeve for me so you Go can have, yeah I really want to hear it though you can have like circumstantial evidence or you can have direct evidence where someone stands up and says I saw I think I saw Missy eating in the diner maybe six or seven hours I wasn't really I wasn't really paying attention mm-hmm. that's one type of evidence the circumstantial evidence is saying, I'll give you an example. The police get a call at 2 a.m. They go to a restaurant that has an adjoining wall with a jewelry store. The alarm in the restaurant has gone off. When they get there, they find a man covered in plaster dust with drills at a huge hole in the wall standing in the restaurant that has the adjoining wall. There's a huge hole in the adjoining wall. He's covered in drywall dust. He has a tool to drill through a wall in his hand. (laughs) They say, I think you were trying to break into that jewelry store by drilling through the wall. And he says, well, no one saw me. It's only circumstantial evidence. How dumb does that sound? I'm I'm sorry, but it's like when people say circumstantial evidence, does it sound stronger to say Missy had oxtails, she had 
peach cobbler. She had a receipt in her stomach that had your signature on it that said <laughs> she ate here four hours after and then after, underneath it said Missy wrote, I just love eating receipts versus <laughs> someone saying, I think I saw Missy here. So when Geneva gets all angry for daring laying this out for her, and I think that's why the con law thing got me. It's because a lot of the other law stuff, with one exception, was very on point. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it got me that Geneva was so belligerent and so angry and so like, I know what I'm talking to, to Darren, who had such a good point and who laid it out so well to her. And I was just like, this trope has to die. It has to die. <laughs> Could you argue that? she what would she know really about the law she's a 60 year old woman who didn't graduate but don't get so belligerent boo don't get so belligerent (laughs) boo boo with this man who is a texas ranger and went to law school is telling you the truth you know you saw missy and don't say it'll never hold up don't bet your life on that bullshit you don't know this is all tough. This reminds me of this news article I read. It was like with the height of CSI uh-huh. and how like I guess the entire like court system was sort of irritated because jurors had like started expecting right. like, they want physical scientific evidence when before a lot of the time it was as you said circumstantial evidence is sort of what what you had to work with that didn't necessarily mean it was right. It's like you hear it correct. over and over again like it's just circumstantial. I want DNA evidence. And it's like Okay, you're going to get DNA from a fucking 60-year-old case where you have one half, one quarter of one postage stamp that maybe someone, someone touched. Like, there was another case where um, someone kept, like, uh, getting, like, everything was pinging, like, this one person. It turned out to be the person who worked in the fucking lab because they were just Mm -hmm. mishandling evidence. So when all the DNA came down, they were like, this person is the most prolific uh rapist in the city's history no it's just some guy who's eating his lunch while processing the rape kits (laughs) so it's like you know be smart y'all don't talk to nobody until your lawyer gets there (laughs) don't start mouthing off because you're gonna let people know when you're upset (laughs) i feel like this is the first time i've truly seen like lawyer molly like i've seen shades of her but this is this is lawyer so my dad started listening to these he's gonna kill me because he was like his nickname was like Mad Dog. He was very much like this. This crim law life wasn't for you. So, you know, I'm just I'm talking out of the side of my neck. But that that's just one little pet peeve. <laughs> I mean, I get it, and I mean, yeah. But I sort of took it as sort of she's saying that because she doesn't really know, and so he, yeah, I get. Your and I guess it was just was my my frustration with Geneva. It's like you do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> You really don't, and this dude is trying to help you. So you got to relax. I do want to ask you, so I may have cut uh-huh. it out. We'll figure it out. But I had mentioned at one point during the non-spoiler part that the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas played a role in this story. And Molly was really concerned that it that was revealing that was spoilery. Yes. That Keith may have had spoiler, like, or not spoiler, Keith may have had <laughs> ties. He wasn't part of it, but he had ties to the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas and you're like don't say that (laughs) I'll get into why so I would like to hear why you think that this goes back to my Encyclopedia Brown moment where it's like Uh all the pieces need to have a purpose all the different clues 
and everything you need to solve should be in here. And Darren was kind of picking mm-hmm. up on this. And he said it. He said, if Keith was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood, then his killing Michael should have been initiation. So. Uh, yes, that's what makes him. You're, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that plot point. That's. Darren initially believes Keith does it and he gets the local sheriffs to arrest him and bring him in. And then while talking with him, he sort of realizes Keith couldn't have done it. And you're right. That's the point where he realizes if he had killed Michael, he. Yeah. Yes. So. So. But I think that's sort of like inside. Now I'm just arguing as to whether or not it's spoilery. I feel like that's sort of inside baseball. You would only pick up on that if you read the book. But could be, or if fun. you knew, if you knew about this initiate. I don't know because I obviously didn't pick up on it. But later when he said that, I was like, "Oh, okay." Because Keith or Darren goes so hard later that Keith did not do it. I'm like, he okay. I there was a line that sort of uh-huh. broke me in response to that. So for the most part, like I said, I think this author was really great when she was talking. About I life, think you're this... going to talk about the part I was <laughs> talking about. There's this line where Darren thinks Keith Dale deserved to go to prison. Sure he did. But Darren couldn't shake the feeling that what they were doing to Keith was no different than what had been done to black folks for centuries. I almost threw my Kindle across the room when I read that. I was like, are you see? Are you serious? It is not. It, it is not. Keith beat Michael to within an inch of his life. He could have on the side on of the a, side road, of a yeah. dusty farm road where no one except Isaac hiding in the bushes would have ever found him. He very easily could have bled out after being hit in the head with a two by four and died right or there. Been or exposed, been exposed, died of exposure. tried to get up and gotten confused and fell into the bayou. If any of those things had happened... That would have been murder. I Okay, I'm not 100% sure on Texas law. I'm in California. But at least here, that would have been murder. If he got run over by another car, anything. But... Not manslaughter? No, not, mans- not manslaughter. Um, because it's like, okay, the, the big case I think there is a guy rapes a young girl, um, dumps her on the side of the road, and she dies of exposure. Like, that... You are mm-hmm. setting everything up for that person to die. You're doing it very intentionally. You're doing it very methodically. Got it. Um, now, the fact that Isaac comes by and hits him in the head again and then throws him in the bayou. Okay, that might mitigate some of his culpability. But but the fact that he beat the shit out of this man with the intention to cause him grievous bodily harm. That does not yeah. make him innocent. The innocent yeah. that, that so, Darren is talking about. Yeah. Because he does. He gets like this bit of conscience as to like they were pinning this murder on this guy. And I'm like, well, he's not completely blameless. He did horrendously right. assault this man. Isaac may have offered the finishing blow. But, but he played a huge, a huge part in this man's death. And I, I think yeah. that, and I, you know stop me if this sounds too far-fetched but i think that it's significant that darren comes from chicago um sorry michael comes from chicago i mean this is very reminiscent of the emmett till story he comes down Mm -hmm. allegedly falsely accused of um, making a pass at a white woman and then is beaten for it 
And mm-hmm. that was obviously the first thing that popped into my mind when this story came up. Same. Yeah. And so for Michael to kind of, or for, uh, or for, uh, Darren to put this story, to place it in that history of wrongs done to black people, and especially for Emmett Till to come up first, it's like Emmett Till didn't do shit. He was a teenager. And it came out recently that he didn't, that she, she lied. lied. So to say this is what, yeah. what, um, you know, wall men have been doing to black people for years and for the, most clear reference to be Emmett Till that bothered me like that that got kind of caught under my skin yeah I didn't like that quote I thought every other thing she said besides that one was pretty on point but that one did make me go like like, wait a second and I don't know that that's her position like I think that that's more Darren's position but that that made me question everything this motherfucker did that's why that's when I thought like how I thought he was like, you're a little too old to be as idealistic and like, no, you know that you should be able to see the shades of gray in that. You should see the difference between that. You should know how the justice system has worked for and against black people. He even says at one point, like for every, it's a double-edged sword for every person crying over a black relative falsely imprisoned. There's another one crying over one who was murdered, who had, whose murderer had never been found. So like, and I thought that was a great line and a great point. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what Darren yeah. would be saying. He's a lawman. He's thinking about, you know, this from this perspective. But it seems like he didn't think about that until that Innocence Project was mentioned. So that's why I sort of thought he was a bit too, like, he sounds like this, he would have made more sense if he was like 30 and he had just yeah. made the Rangers or something. And like, he was like, I'm going to go and make a change. Like, if he hadn't been doing it right. for a long time. I don't know how long he's been doing it, but I feel like he's a bit, he, sh- he should be too seasoned. Or to even like as a person existing in this country, you know, that this is not the case. Yeah. That this is, it, it's yeah. like a false equivalency. So. And if he went to law school, he should fucking know what that means. Like, don't, don't <laughs> compare these two things. He was, maybe he didn't make it to that year, that <laughs> class. He did drop out. He in his third year. Law school is three years. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're trying to push it for two. Oh, really? Like someone's trying to make it. T- I heard like it's part of like the the big law school reform yeah, it after its low point or dark times. It's dark in times, the, yeah. In the odds, people were talking about like, well, let's just make law school two years. It doesn't need to be three years. They just sort of yeah. that's true. So I don't. Um, so yeah, um, I do think there was something else I was going to touch on, but I might have. There was so much. To there was I something else it. that I really wanted to. <laughs> and it was something um, off topic. Uh-huh. Did you think that they used like flypaper as a common descriptor? Like flypaper kept coming up, and I was like, "This is a strange imagery." Keep a oh, piece of imagery. Yeah. Keep repeating. He like looks at. Um, at first, I was gonna say I don't remember, but I remember like he was looking at Geneva's curl on her head, and he was like, "It was like flypaper," and I was like, "That's kind of rude." <laughs> And there's another point where he's talking about um like I highlighted it all. There's like there's another point where he's talking about like how there's something ha- like cob or something was hanging from the ceiling, the bell or something oh, like fly paper, and it's like yeah, why you keep referencing things like why is that your? It's your, very important. Interesting to him to have fly paper, I guess. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it happened enough times that I was like, well, that's interesting. That she kind of yeah, kind of take note yeah. of it. So oh, the guitar. Oh yeah, that's sort of. Look, it's so, yeah, so that's how everything loops back. Randy, oh, I know what I was going to talk about. Um, 
But um, there's this scene early in the book where Randy comes in and she sees this guitar on the wall. She's like, that's my husband's. And she runs to it. And Jeannie was like, don't you dare. Does she say that. that's my husband's or that's mine? I think she said like, that's Michael. Oh, okay. Or something. And she's like, she was going to touch it. And then Geneva cuts like, don't you dare touch that. It belonged to my husband. And when it's first introduced in the book, like, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't, doesn't make sense until the end when everything is explained. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of, I don't know if I like that. It's, I don't know if I like that as foreshadowing or if I thought it, if, if it could have been handled better. I don't know how I feel about that. Scene. I liked it as foreshadowing, but again, it kind of goes back to Darren's character if you are really trying to solve this, you would be like a dog with a bone. Like, wait, what do you mean that's your your husband's guitar? Your mm-hmm. husband who died hours after leaving this place. That means he was here. That means he must have talked to you. Why did you keep it? How did you get it? But none of that really came up. He was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think that did that occur when he was still trying to pretend like he was not law enforcement? I think that it was only remember. the very first time. I think when he comes back with Randy, he has his um, ranger badge on. Okay. Oh, I was also going to say about Randy. There was this real weird sense of like flirting between them. That that I was like not, that I, that I also didn't want. I'm like, please don't let him, don't let him have an affair with this lady. I think if Randy had been a more fleshed out character, I think that she was kind of a stand in for, like I was saying before, this not knowing the way things work mm-hmm. down here kind of character. Mm-hmm. She does have a really nice scene where she's talking about, or maybe Darren's talking about, she doesn't really know what home means the same way he and Michael knew because she yeah. moved around so much as a child. Um, so she doesn't really, she can't really under, understand why her husband came back here and ultimately lost his life over this place. Yeah. So I think that she, at her core, represented that idea and going back again to the Emmett Till thing, that not under outsiders not understanding how this works. I think she has a stand-in for that viewpoint. But beyond that, yeah. she had some parallels to... Um, Darren's husband, or wife. Some parallels to Darren's wife, who was kind of even less of a character, and some parallels to <laughs> Geneva, like a widow who lost her her man to kind of this racial um, and familial violence. Like, I like how they cast it kind of as, like, a, it was a race issue, but not, like, a race but issue based on love and lust instead of hate. Mm-hmm. It's like the race came came before the violence, like the, the fucked up ideas about race led to xyz led to murder mm-hmm. if that makes sense like wally couldn't be with geneva and she couldn't recognize you know his father couldn't recognize the son and then his jealousy made him kill joe senior versus um uh keith senior you know loving his son but understand Which i thought was interesting yeah but understanding his half black yeah and that he his um you know he was going to start to show in his character in its features that he was black and people were going to realize that and he was trying to get in with the Zarian brotherhood but how could he do that when he had his son and that led him to bring out his frustrations on a totally random person yeah so i thought that was kind of a cool twist on that trope 
it was. And I think for the most part, like nothing went the way I thought it would. So I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the ending. I thought Michael was murdered by, so the bar has this like heavily tattooed, angry, like I guess security guard mm-hmm. or bouncer named Bruce. I'm thinking Bruce. It may not be Bruce. It's something with a B who like is sort of the, he's definitely as a part of the gang because he has all the tattoos. And so he's the one who, 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 while Darren is being held up by these two men, tells Keith, you know, I'll let you have this kill and it'll we can jump you in. Right. So I thought he was the one who originally murdered Michael. I thought it was someone in Geneva's cafe. I mean, you weren't wrong. <laughs> That's true. I mean, but at some point, Isaac just leaves the cafe and he never comes back. So I kind of forgot about him. There are a couple characters that do that. So like like that aforementioned, aforementioned bodyguard, he sort of drops and disappears. Yeah. Um, the waitress sort of drops and disappears. She was like his, she was, there's this waitress at the um, racist bar who was the first person to give Darren some like intelligence. Right. She disappears. His security, his, um, not security, supervisors and superiors and the rangers are sort of in and out. really a presence. Yeah. Yeah. His wife is kind of in and out. His wife is like nothing. He hangs up at her, or she hangs up on him at one point, like that we don't hear from her again until like, the end of the book. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Cause the point where he sees his wife and he like the He gets mad at her. Yeah. And she's like <laughs> she's like, I I never she, so the whole time you kinda think that she's like a Skylar White, not letting her husband go do cool things, be in the Rangers, put his life on the line. But I think that it was just a stand in that um she was concerned about his drinking. <laughs> Because he is kind of an alcoholic. He he's a lush. He is he's definitely a lush. Um, and uh, so the whole time he's like, "I'm gonna do better by you." And he doesn't sleep with Randy, and he's thinking about his wife the whole time. The second he sees her, and she's like, um, <laughs> "You know, I knew you were gonna, you weren't gonna leave the Rangers. That's okay." And he's and she was like, "But I don't like the drinking." And he's like, "I fucking hate you." What? He gets so angry. He's like, I drink because you make me. And it's like, and that's not even too far off from the line. I think it's like, it's all because of you. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, I do this because of what you did. This sort of leads in, what do you think of, like, there's like this framing device. There's this issue he's dealing with that I said I didn't include. <laughs> Basically about, there's a family friend and this racist, like, white teenager comes on his property and the family friend has a gun to him and I guess Darren helps get this guy off the property but then a day later that racist teenager shows up murdered yeah. so there's a grand jury and so that's why Darren is suspended because he never he didn't follow the proper channels is basically what I right. can get from it he didn't handle it the way he was supposed to um, and then so this indictment whether or not this old man will be indicted for the murder of this kid hangs over him for like the entirety of the book the end he doesn't he doesn't get indicted but Darren's mother who he calls and ask her to so while he while Darren is out in this little county um the rangers or whoever it is who does it I don't know the yeah DA, the I DA guess. comes and a lot of lost stuff for yeah me. so they have so Darren's family and this is kind of an interesting thing too because it brings class in they kind of talk about how they're kind of the more upwardly mobile kind of yeah. uh what would you call it uh respectability kind of family a black family in this county that they're in. And um, they have 
multiple houses or ranch or something. And they employ this friend to look after one of the houses. Mm-hmm. And so Rutherford McMillan, yes, who they call Mac. Mac. And so Darren wanting to save base, he knows the DA has come in and tossed the house looking for a gun that um, fits the description of the one that's murdered this, this racist teen. So he knows that the house is going to be a mess and he doesn't want his uncle, again, Mr. Respectable, to come and see the house. So he asks his shifty mom to go in <laughs> and clean up the house before they all come back because, you know, appearance is everything. And that is kind of what leads to the twist ending. Um, Which he should have known better. He should have known better. And I think it's I think it goes back to what you were saying about his just optimism um and just all the people around him so optimism i i would call it naivete naivete how do you say it naivete i don't know i can't say it now naivete yeah (sighs) it's so hot here guys (laughs) but anyway um so this guy mac he he's the caretaker for the house and that's why he goes up in and um uh that's why they're in that house that took me a long time to put two and two together because i was like oh this is <sighs> sorry guys um it's there's so much going on in so many different characters um yeah do you think well and then oh, the ahead. book ends his mother i don't know if you just said this maybe i don't think he did his mother finds the yes. gun because that's what's holding up the indictment is that they don't have the gun his mother finds the gun that the family friend um buried on the property and it's implied that now she is going to blackmail. Yes. So um, Mac did kill this this guy, this kind of punk guy, um, and he buried the gun under a tree. And then the mom yeah. comes in and she's Which, like, "I ain't no fool." So like, I went straight to the tree and found the gun. And so, she, why can't anybody in this book like cover their tracks well? Like, right? Be like, why you plant that tree? It's like, hey, that looks like a brand new tree. Um, <laughs> And so she's like all dressed up and it's like she's going to use the fact that um, she has the gun. She has the evidence to kind of control her son and get back into this idealized life that he's built for himself. Like my thought is she dressed up because she was like, y'all are having a cookout. You didn't invite me, but you're going to invite me from now on because I have this thing over my son. Yeah, it's it's. And then it yeah. ends, like, because we have this, it doesn't even acknowledge, she doesn't even explicitly blackmail him. It's he looks just, at her purse and he knows that the gun is in there. Yeah, and she's got a sword. Um, do you think that Darren knew that Mac killed that guy? That's a hard one. I think, following my whole thread, that I don't think he's as sharp on things <laughs> as he should be. I'm going to say I don't think he See? did. I think oh, he ahead. His friend. I think he thought he was innocent. You, however, I, I feel think he otherwise. did. I think he did, and I think that's what really all the drinking and running off to um, this town and everything was about. I think he really did, and it shook him and that optimism. Yeah, and I kind of would have liked if it had, if he had just doubted him, like not himself, but doubted what it meant to be a ranger and how a ranger was viewed and what power he had if he had doubted himself a bit more about well maybe justice and he touches on it but i don't think i don't know he just had too much reverence yeah or like his badge and what it meant for me to take him like as a seasoned 
because I'm sure everybody, like, I'm sure anyone who's been in any type of position where you're like, your goal is like to make the world a better place. You've lost someone or you lost something and you had to face the fact that maybe like the bad guy doesn't always get caught and the good guys sometimes lose. And I feel like he still hasn't had that yeah. moment yet. And I'm like, well, how long have you been yeah. in this job? Like this was the first difficult case he had. Yeah. So, I don't know, Darren. Maybe, and maybe know. that's just a bigger prob- yeah, problem. Yeah, problem that we have with the book is that Darren didn't seem quite as complex a character as he could have. Yeah. Yeah, I would have just liked to see him just question what it meant to be a ranger. I would have more. liked to see him kind yeah. of flex that um, ranger kind of um, uh, badge a little bit more. Like, I love <laughs> the part where he goes to the the um, lumber mill and he straight up oh, tells yeah. Keith, he's like, mm, shame that your kid ain't your kid, huh? In front of everybody. <laughs> and he knows that he can do it. And he knows that the guy can't touch him. And then I like the part two where he goes back to the ice house and he's like, I will come in here and I will fucking shoot everyone and plant guns on your hands and call you all racist and everyone will believe me. Like that was the kind of stuff like that kind of subversion because he is this black lawman like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. like he's really like pushing the limits of what he can do because he thinks he's in the right and it's like is that a right thing to do what is that black guy who's in the corner of the mill and just trying to get his work done what does he think um and that kind of moment again stuck with me because that's not the thing you say when you're like that's the thing you say when you're aware of like like that's that shit's usually what done the whole baltimore thing where they found people planting and, like, again, he just didn't seem to have that right. insight. He just seemed to. So, like, it really felt, it didn't really, it didn't feel like it belonged there because he's so one way about the power of the bad. And how and reverent. How, like, it's and, unadulterated. Yeah. yeah. But then to turn around and to say that, if he had been a little bit more complex earlier, I would have been right. okay with it. But because he was, it right. just felt weird. It's like, well, you wouldn't do that. I know, I know you, you wouldn't, wouldn't do it. Do like, I want to read a story right. about the guy who would do that. Yeah. But you're not that guy. And maybe, like, yeah, and maybe he'll get there, like, because, like we said, this is definitely, I think, going to be stretched mm-hmm. out to a series. So he may deal with something a bit more challenging, but in this book, I don't know, it didn't feel consistent. That's the yeah. one I was trying yeah. to find. Yeah, true. So, is there anything else that... There was There so was a much. lot. Oh, I did, like, so we chat <laughs> each other a lot when we we're do. reading, and, like, we text each other stuff. This is probably the most. The most, yes. Outside of probably this could be us, but you play in. This is probably the most that we talk to each other while. And we, so we read this book um, a lot faster because I'm going to be out of town when we would normally record this. Um, So we read it in just a couple of days. Um, So that might, and again, just to be like totally fair and honest, like some of the confusion is absolutely on us just like as quickly as we had to read it. But I do think that some of the criticisms still stand. So just put everything on yeah. the table. But I was going to, I was just going to say, you made this really <laughs> hilarious observation about, so it goes, this has nothing to do with the thing. It was just something I remembered that was funny about how Darren is remembering when his uncle first uh-huh. gets the star and they're driving <laughs> through the town and like the looks on the other kids' faces on, as they see his like big 
strong uncle uh, with his star, and he's, like, kind of lording it over the other kids. And Molly's like, that's a strange thing to, like, hang over right. other children. I mean, I, yeah. so I, I think that like, that scene in particular goes to, and maybe it's just because the way I read mysteries again i'm looking at every little thing and thinking what does this have to do with the central question of the book what could this tell me about this right and so you know you're at least i read it a little bit more critically and so he says that he is in the car with his uncle lording over the other kids that he has a i think the line is that their uncle their you know the kids who's their, Their uncles, uncles weren't, weren't rangers. rangers. And it's like, okay, wait a second. This is a very segregated town. You said you live on the black side of town. You're super bougie. So these are probably poor children. <laughs> you said your fa- your uncle is the only black ranger. So these are probably other black children who are poorer than you. And the only black ranger is your uncle. So no, none of those other kids would have uncles who are rangers. So why the hell is this? Why was that sentence in here? Like, it doesn't tell us anything new. It just kind of tells us that Darren is a dick, you know? Yeah. And he has a fundamental misunderstanding of the people around him. It's like, your uncle's not a ranger. It's like, no, that's a weird thing to say to somebody. You know he's not. We know. Everyone knows that my uncle isn't a Texas ranger. You know what was also weird? The repeated like reminders that Clayton his uncle had married his they brother's widow almost most of the references of Clayton and William are and I think that this was maybe trying to vary up the way that she talked about them but it was like uh Clayton told William his identical brother who was married to his high school sweetheart who was now his sister-in-law told Clayton who was her husband's brother like that, between the two of them, almost every time I think they mentioned that they were identical twin. Like every single time they mentioned their relationship to one another. It's kind of like, huh. Yeah, and that there was this woman named Naomi who, you know, the one loved but that the other married. And I remember that fact was dropped in a really random, like they were talking about something completely different. And then it's brought up that she'd married her and that it was kind of weird for everybody. yeah. And and that would be a weird thing, but it's like, we keep getting told that it's a weird thing, but when we actually see them all, yeah, they're cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, he even has, like, they even keep the original wedding photo between Naomi and Clayton. Yeah, on the wall. On the wall during a family celebration, so. So, oh, did we make that really explicit? So, like, she marries one uncle, then he dies, and she marries the other uncle, because they were, like, high school sweethearts. Yeah. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's basically. So I just remember that being like a weird when it was first introduced. It was introduced in such like it it didn't make sense to what we were currently discussing. I think he was calling. I think it was while Clayton was trying to convince Darren to come back and visit him at um, the university to see about finishing up his classes. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden it's dropped. It's oh yeah, Clayton married Naomi, who was his brother's widow, and and I was like, okay, that's a strange. Yeah, like, I would like to see more about these two identical twins who shared a woman and were on opposite same sides of the law and raising a son together. So. That's a more interesting story to me. It does sound really interesting. 
And I feel like we haven't used this word in a while, but uh, you mentioned it, and I think it's really fitting. But like bougie. the whole, all the yes, all the Matthews clan just they were so bougie. They just feel really bougie. And so. I think that Belle um, Matthews' mother knew that. <laughs> she was Darren's like, mother. Yeah. Sorry, Darren's mother. They have a first name for a last name, and it was kind of confusing. Yeah. Um, she knew they were bougie. Yeah. So. so. Uh, I think I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I had something, but then it escaped, so it must not be that important. I think I think we that's have everything I have thoroughly discussed this mystery. I think so. Yeah. So yeah, they're super bougie. <laughs> um, I think we already said this, but in case you you're coming back, I if you were excited about like this isn't a bad book to read. Yeah, I would recommend it. Um, if for the way she describes Texas is really interesting. The way she talks about the Texas Rangers is really interesting. I kind of would have liked more history about them. Yeah. But um, but there was so much happening that. So. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I'd almost wait until the second book and start with that one. Yeah. And then maybe go back. Yeah. I feel like now that she's developed everyone, she may not feel the need to explain everything. Exactly. So maybe the plot won't be so heavy. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that, I again, I even think that the plot was a good a good plot. I think the setting, mm-hmm. the plot, everything was good. I just think that the writing could have been tighter. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, but yeah, so that was Bluebird, Bluebird. Oh, that reminds me, like, I I think it was halfway in where the title made sense. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it was only in reference to, like, I guess a song that maybe I should have known, but I do not know my blues. Yeah, so, yeah. I know some, like, out of Missouri and Kansas City, but not yeah. as much. So that was Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Luck. Mm-hmm. It was it was a read. It was wasn't too long, but it did. We did have to read it in a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think that's it for this one. Um, do you have anything you want to? What are you reading, Molly? What are you working on now? Okay, so I just finished, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the third of those Dublin. <laughs> Murder Squad books. You are <laughs> flying through them. I know. I think there's five total. So I just read the third, Faithful Place, which I thought that was the best one. And it was actually kind of an interesting juxtaposition with um, with Bluebird, Bluebird, because it's very similar, like a cop kind of going into um, a place that he has a history, like kind of a location um for this guy it's kind of like the inner city of dublin and he's going back to see his family who he hasn't seen in 20 years after his um uh childhood sweetheart who he's going to run away with is found murdered like her skeletal remains are found so it's kind of like going back to your home to solve a mystery but the mystery is kind of wrapped up in all kind of the conflicting feelings you have about the place that you came from Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference is the guy's name in that is Frank Mackey and he is like a total douchebag like <laughs> he is just he is not a very good person where I think that Darren um, there Darren is like mostly good with like just a creeping shiftiness in him like a yeah. sh- creeping evil that I think is interesting and that's why I'm kind of interested in the second book in this I want to kind of see this kind of good guy persona kind of corrupted a little bit or challenged a little bit 
Yeah, um, I think he needs it. I think he needs it. So, yeah, that's what I read. What did you read? So, I classes started, so I've <laughs> been reading textbooks. Mm-hmm. But I did make, I'm going to even sound more like a broken record. I did make real progress with the third book of the Dark Tower series. Okay. Mainly because I texted Molly and told her I figured out the perfect activity <laughs> For listening to Audible books with, and that's when doing your hair. <laughs> right. Because, like, I can't watch anything anyway. <laughs> and it takes me two or three hours between washing, like, drying, and then flat ironing. And I just let it play on my Alexa. And it was great. I got, like, three hours of progress made. So now I only have ten hours left. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm hoping, though, to start... Um. I had a book I had purchased, and I was hoping to, like, start... I, oh, I was reading Stamp from the Beginning. I need to finish that one, too. Um, I had started that one, but didn't really get into it. So now I'm really hoping to, like, dig in and finish that one. Okay. Okay. So, I also got... There's a cookbook, How to Cook Everything. It's only $4.50. Strong recommend. Oh, yeah. I think I have that. That's really good. Yeah. You know what? We should do, like, a cookbook. I love cookbooks. I do, too. It's, like, food and books. Right? Together. So, and I really like, I have one of his other books. I really like how he, he has good recipes and he breaks things down pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So I like his whole series of how to cook whatever. He has how to cook everything fast, how to bake everything. He has a good series of books Mm -hmm. and you get a lot. So, but that's it. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything else going on. We do have a bonus question. We're going to do something different with. Mm -hmm. So we want to know, are you all going to do NaNoWriMo or National Novel Writing Month? which takes place in November because mm-hmm. we thought maybe we would do some stuff, but if not a lot of people participate, then yeah. Or even would obviously. that be something that she would be interested in participating? Like yeah. even if you haven't done it before. So, yeah. So we just want to know. So it'll probably be a poll. I'll leave it up for the maximum amount of time. Twitter will let me leave it up. <laughs> um, I know it has like deadlines. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so we were briefly concerned that that means we wouldn't have as much to talk about, but who are we kidding? We have plenty to talk about all the time. So I think that's it for an episode. Yeah. Um, So um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Black Chick Lit or on Instagram at BCL Podcast. I've been meaning to send you some photos for that long. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And to visit us at Mm BlackChickLit.com. If you have any questions or comments or if you have a suggestion for a BCL chat idea, Feel free to email us at contact at blackchicklit.com and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play because it helps others find us and the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we want to thank, I believe, it's Sweet 45. Mm-hmm. For use of our wanna... theme, Music Jones In. You can find them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Sweet 45. And I think that's it. This was a long, I feel like. This is a long one. Really, <laughs> we really dug is, in. Yeah, I don't think there's been a book where we've gotten this into the weeds. Like when we broke down that murder and we were using characters' names, like we knew these people. I was like, we're really, and you know what? we're really in it. That ultimately, besides the problems that we have with the book, like that's the sign of a good book that like worms itself into your brain that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, fuck, I saw Geneva and she said. <laughs> so. Give it yeah. a read. Give it a so. read. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I'd love to hear what other people think. So, all right, that's it, guys. All right, guys. See you, later. See you soon. Bye, bye.